0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. While continuing today in our series Lifestyle of the Gospel, let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 7, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Recipe for Long-Term Unity.
1: I'm reading Romans 15, 1 to 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you with one voice may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You know, some years ago, National Geographic ran an article about the Arctic wolf the author observed as a group of seven arctic wolves circled around some musk oxen in order to attack and kill their young calves. Fascinatingly enough, the adult musk oxen formed a very tight circle around their young, with their young in the center, and if the wolves tried to attack, they simply repelled them with their hoofs. It led to an uneasy standoff, The wolves circling and the young musk oxen being protected by the older and forming an impenetrable shield. Now, this continued until one musk ox, highly nervous, broke ranks and ran for it. It unsettled the rest of the pack, and all of them began to run, exposing their young. In the end, the wolves killed every single one of the young. You know, on his very last visit to the Ephesian church, Paul warned of this very thing. I'm reading Acts 20, verse 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Satan is, of course, always looking for a way to ravage God's people and to destroy the faith of some, to decimate local churches and even cleanse whole geographical areas from the hearing of the gospel. You know, one of the ways we repel him is through our unity. The fact that we stand together, the fact that we do not break rank. The unity of God's people is a gift that God has given His church, but Scripture warns us and commands us, well, in Ephesians 4, verse 3, that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, but it might seem to us that unity is such a very fragile thing. You know, sometimes persecution or hardship strain at that unity, but sometimes, however, It's internal disagreements within the church. And those internal disagreements can do more to decimate the church than outside pressure could ever accomplish. I've always found Philippians 4, 2-3 fascinating. Let's read it. I entreat you, oidea, and I entreat syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know the nature of the dispute, but we do know that these two women, at one time, in unity with each other, were passionate about sacrificial service for the advancement of the gospel. But now they were at odds with each other, and a rift between them was impacting the church. And Paul speaks to the church. He says, help these women get around them. Don't criticize. Instead, enter deeply into their lives and seek to heal the wounds. Repair the breach. Jesus' last prayer before He went on the cross was this very thing. In John 17:21, He prays that we might be one. Over and over again, the Scripture admonishes us to remain united. Psalm 133, verse 1 says, "...behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity." And in order to emphasize how important unity is, Paul says in Ephesians 4, 4 4-6, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. In other words, what binds us together are the essential things, the truth of God, the saving news of Christ's cross, the nature of his church, the hope of eternity. Things like these are the essentials, the truth upon which the church stands. And if that's so, how then can the non-essentials, you know, Paul's been speaking about kosher foods and the Jewish celebration of Sabbath, I mean, how can those things beat the essentials, and cause division? We've been studying Romans 14, and we found out that the early church was made up of Jewish and Gentile Christians. Even though that might seem like an impossible unity, it was not. Jesus had broken down the dividing wall of hostility between those two people groups, and yet there was still something that threatened their unity. The great threat to them was not the essentials, but it was the differing cultural practices between them. And so Paul makes an appeal that that both groups welcome each other, that both groups be allowed to exercise freedom. Paul wants both groups to understand the differences between the essentials, that is, the commitment to the gospel, and the non-essentials, which dealt with those Old Testament commands, which were intended for the Jewish people only during the dispensation before Christ came. See, because these things could be so fractious, he commands them not to make the non-essentials into the essentials. And so on the basis of that, he commands the church to make sure they must not pass judgment over each other in these matters. They are to be content that in the end, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there, these matters will be thoroughly examined. Only do not judge these matters now. Simply accept and welcome each other, expressing delight in one another. And by the way, I think that's an essential lesson. You know, as our culture becomes increasingly diverse, you know, as immigration into our country irrevocably alters it, we have found our churches being irrevocably altered as well. You know, once being made up of one predominantly cultural group, we are finding people of vastly different cultures now sharing a church pew, sharing home Bible study groups, learning to serve Christ together and to love each other. We are so different, yet we are so similar because there is only one body, one spirit, one hope, and one Lord, and one faith, and one baptism, and one God. You know, some years ago, I was interviewing a Russian woman who wanted to be baptized. We needed an interpreter as she spoke to me in Russian, and I I responded in English and her testimony of the grace of Christ was so powerful, we soon forgot we were translating. And at one point she said, how can you not understand my language? You are my people, she said. See, that's the unity I want to address today. It is this remarkable thing that Jesus brings people together. You can travel the world and meet someone who loves Christ in Tanzania or Thailand, in Australia or Bolivia, And when you find out they love Christ, it it feels like you've known each other forever. There is a spiritual unity that draws all true believers together. And yet unity among believers or unity in the local church can be so fleeting. How quickly we forget. How quickly we let non-essentials divide us. How quickly we can be to condemn each other over the smallest of matters. Now, added to that problem, is that North American culture is so remarkably individualistic. All sorts of people today are saying, you know, I don't need to connect with people to connect with God. I mean, after all, church is just a hassle. And there's often politics and narrow-mindedness and sin. I mean, how much easier is it to simply hold back from the group and break ranks and run? I'll live my Christian life alone, and who needs all those hypocrites or stuck-in-the-mud traditionalists? and our enemy, just like the wolves surrounding the musk oxen, are waiting for us to break ranks. Let's remind ourselves what Paul means when he says that we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. The weak are those who misunderstand the breadth and the width of the Christian freedom. See, there are those who don't understand the difference between those things that are mandated by scriptural commands and those things that are a matter of individual conscience. But as we've seen, Paul is not contempt to simply tell us that. For a Jew accustomed to eating kosher, it it wasn't so easy to simply flip the switch and and make allowances for, you know, for Gentiles. Um, We have to grow to understand the wide nature of Christian freedom. And in the meantime, something is required of Christians who have a very clear understanding of the breadth of Christian freedom. It's never acceptable to cluck one's tongue and wonder why those weak brothers and sisters just don't get it. Instead, Paul commands those of us who are strong to bear with the failings of the weak. We are not to break ranks and run. We are to continue to strive with one another and maintain the
0: unity of the Spirit. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Neufeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we wanna remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: From Romans 15, 1-6, let me enunciate three lessons. If followed, will bind us together in unity. Here's lesson number one. Learn to live selflessly for others. Let me say it again. Learn to live selflessly with others. Look again at verses one and two. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. See, I want you to notice that word to bear in verse one. You know, in Matthew 8:17, that very same word was used to describe Jesus, who Matthew says bore our diseases. That is, he took upon himself the curse of our sins and their effects. To bear means to carry, means to to put on our shoulders the burdens of another. It means to hold them up when they're weak. This is the moral obligation that rests upon all of those who have become mature in Christ. We're not to please ourselves, we're to please others. You know, at first glance, that command might seem strange to you. And it might also contradict in your own mind what Paul has said in an earlier letter. In Galatians 1 verse 10, he said, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, please notice a distinction here. In Galatians, Paul is warning against being a people pleaser. That is, whatever people want we run to do. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who warned me that that if I was a people pleaser, he said, I would be an abomination to God. Well, that's because the will and the wishes of sinful humanity are opposed to the will and wishes of God. So, what does Paul mean in Romans 15, 1 and 2? Well, for one, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't ever enjoy ourselves or please ourselves. He really means that we should seek the spiritual well-being of others, even if that means we deny ourselves some of the freedoms that are ours. You know, at the heart of this, it's the call to live selflessly for others. It means to serve others, to minister to them. It means that we look for ways of building them up, and that this enterprise involves inconvenience and even sacrifice. Let me give you a little secret. If you want to grow spiritually, help someone else grow spiritually. You want to learn your Bible? Teach a Sunday school class. You want to get excited about Christ? Help someone else to come to know Christ. That is, when we become involved in the lives of others and when we make sacrifices for them, we might find out it's less of a sacrifice than we ever expected. Sacrifice actually benefits us. And so if we do what Paul tells us to do, please our neighbor, even if in doing this, we make sacrifices. And that's the first essential demand of long-term unity. Now, there's an assumption here that we must not miss. And the assumption is that in bearing the burdens of others and their weaknesses as well, you're involved with them. You're not a spectator at church. You attend church in the way that some attend a theater. You know, sometimes you clap and cheer and other times you criticize. The Bible never speaks of church that way. The assumption is that we've all become involved in ministry. You know, I read a book entitled The Secret History of Christianity, and it speaks about how the Christian church was persecuted out of existence in some parts of the world. You know, The author said that one of the ways to kill a church is to let all ministries be done by the clergy, or by a few, so that when you kill the clergy, you've killed the church but there's more. Show me a man or woman who is serving within the church and ministering to others. I'll show you someone who doesn't complain and someone who doesn't break ranks and someone who stays united. See, if you want to grow in Christ, you have to get involved in the lives of others and in loving, selfless ministry to them. That's lesson number one for long-term unity. So here's lesson number two which you're going to agree with me is actually an extension of the first lesson. We need to pattern our lifestyle after Christ. Look again at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You know, the fascinating thing about verse 3 is that it is a quote from Psalm 69 and verse 9. It's a psalm of David. David so identifies himself with God that it turns out that those who fought with God ended up fighting with David. David would cast his entire future into God's camp, and that's how this matter works its way out. Those who hated God then poured out their hatred onto David, who was his servant, and, and that's Psalm 69. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of that psalm, that is Psalm 69, is found in Christ. Christ was nailed to a cross by those who hated God. Their hatred of God spewed out in a venom that fell onto Christ as he hung on the cross and bore up under their insults. But for Paul, in Romans 15, verse 3, we need to ask, why did Jesus do that? Why was he willing to bear the insults of those who hated God? Well, clearly, this had everything to do with with Christ's passion for his Father's glory. You see, in Christ's mind, the glory of God and the mercy shown to God's people are one and the same. Christ suffered those insults both for the glory of God and for us. And that's not only the good news of the gospel. You see, that's the call for every Christian. We're not only called to revel in the wonder of Christ's cross, we are also called upon to imitate his example. Now, obviously, we we can't die for the sins of others, but we can have the mind of Christ. See, just like Jesus, we can wash the feet of someone else. Just like Jesus, we can say, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. See, here's the great challenge. We must learn to walk as Jesus walked. We must learn to pattern our lives after his life, imitating him and learning how to live life from the master. I know how this can seem like an inconvenience to many, but the real question is this. Do you think that Jesus missed out on the good life, or or do you think that Jesus' lifestyle is the good life? What do you think? See, I call upon you to believe that no man was ever more alive than Jesus. And if that's true, Would you not follow his example? And so our unity is based on, first, our willingness to live selflessly, and second, our willingness to make the life of Jesus our imitation. Now, third, our unity is based on our submission to the Bible. Look at verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. I want you to notice four things. Number one, the Bible is extremely relevant. Yeah, it was written a long time ago, but it is as if it had been written yesterday because it applies to our lives today. Everything that was written, says Paul, was written for us. (laughs) So if you read the Bible and don't make application to your life, well, you're missing the entire purpose of Scripture. Second, all of the Bible is relevant. You know, when Paul mentions the Scripture, please notice that in his day, the New Testament had not yet been written. And so, Paul's reference to the Scripture is a reference to the Old Testament. That's why he's just quoted from Psalm 69 and then related David's experience directly to the experience of Jesus and then to us. And that's the point. All of the First Testament is so relevant because the First Testament points us to Christ and then tells us how to live. Now, third, Paul wants us to know that paying attention to the Bible produces character. See, that's why Paul says, notice it here, through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, that's to say, we're to continue to sacrifice our desire for others and we are continue to allow Christ's sacrifice to be our example, that we are to do this for a lifetime. See, I'm sure you're gonna agree, this is more easily said than done. And, and I would have to agree, except that when we read and study the Scripture, and when we see how it applies to our lives, we find that Scripture encourages us to live fully for Christ. See, here's what I found. We live in a day, as you know, frequent sexual scandals among key Christian leaders. It's a, it's a scandal. But I've noticed, that there have been remarkably few scandals among Bible teachers committed to a verse-by-verse study of Scripture. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it happens far less frequently there. The Bible reading and teaching it, hearing and obeying it, produces endurance and encouragement. And that's the recipe for unity. Be sacrificial, follow the example of Christ, keep your nose in the Scripture.
0: John, I'm not sure there's a simple answer to this, but I recognize I know people who have left the church for reasons because they're not being fed or they're not being taken care of, and it's sort of counterintuitive relative to the church, isn't it? Yeah, I mean,
1: I, I know that there are some legitimate reasons to leave a local church, especially if the gospel is no longer there, and let's say you got you know young people and they're you know they're they're falling away because of that. Um, But there are a lot of bad reasons for leaving a church, and, you know, one of the bad reasons is, you know, it's just not that much fun anymore, And, and at those points in time, we need to ask ourselves again what Paul says. We have an obligation to bear with the failings of the week and not to please ourselves. At some point in time, it does take work to remain a
0: fellowship, and we need to commit ourselves to doing that. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us again tomorrow, right here on Back to the Bible, Canada where we teach the Bible. Since 1957, Back to the Bible Canada has provided excellent and trustworthy Bible teaching for Canadians. What has been accomplished is a result of people like you listening right now who share our hearts for this mission. In particular, those who have chosen to join us in ministry as monthly partners. As we begin a new year, perhaps becoming an 1119 monthly partner might be something you'd consider. Your investment in this ministry assures that people of all ages and stages of life have opportunity to discover more about a new life in Christ through the study of God's Word. Your partnership in 2022 Will provide the resources to sustain and expand the reach of Bible teaching across Canada and beyond. To learn more about the 1119 Monthly Partnership Program, visit backtothebible.ca/fellowship or call us at 1-800-663-2425.